In James chapter 2, with verse 14, if you're there, give me a good Saturday morning, amen. amen. It says, what does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked or de- and destitute of daily food, and one of you saying to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? Even so, if faith, even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead, being alone. Yes, a man may say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And you believe that there is one God, you do well. Devils also believe and tremble. But will you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which said, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And this morning I want to deal with this very important subject of faith without works is dead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you this morning in the, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. God, we're just rejoicing in what you've done already and Lord, in expectation of what you're going to continue to do today. And Lord, we just ask you for your anointing just to rest upon me, to speak. We ask you for clarity of speech and thought. Lord, you would make your word real to us. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, let your anointing rest upon us this morning as we receive those listening by radio and watching on the internet. We ask you, Lord, for your anointing today. We say it in Jesus' name, and everyone said amen and amen. As I mentioned last night in the little intro, in preaching and teaching the cross over the last several years, about 10 years now, uh, occasionally there have been those who have, that I've come in contact with either through personally or through email or other means that have said, yeah, the message of the cross, that's good. You know, yes, we are sanctified by faith. And yes, it is true. Yes, that's that's good, Brother Bob, to have faith in the cross. But, and they'll throw a big but in there. But, James said, that faith without works is dead. And for some who try to use this argument of James against the message that we are not only justified by faith in Christ and Him crucified, but that we are sanctified by faith alone in Christ and what He did for us at the cross, some would try to twist and try to use what James said, either purposely twisting it or either ignorantly doing so, and try to use what James said against the truth, the scriptural truth, that we are sanctified by faith alone. 
And what I mean by that is that not only are we justified, not only are we declared righteous initially by faith alone in what Jesus did for us at Calvary, but as we live this Christian life, the same way that I was made justified initially is the same way that I stay righteous. And that is by faith, by faith alone in what Jesus did for us at Calvary. That was the message of the reformers, and that is the, that is the message of even modern day reformers today, that we are justified by faith alone, and that we are sanctified by faith alone. I am made righteous one way, and that is by faith in what Jesus did for me at Calvary. Yeah. Hallelujah. And that it is not by my works. It is not by my works as good as those works may be. It is not by my prayer life that God accepts me. It is not by my Bible reading that God loves me or that God uh, puts his righteousness into my account. It is the simple fact that I believe that's the reason I am in Christ. That's the way I stay in Christ. Hallelujah. That's the way I stay in my condition here on earth. That's how I stay righteous. And his righteousness is developed in me as I live by faith. Wow. And so some would try to use, though, the book of James and try to claim that, no, it is not by faith alone. It is by faith what we do, it is by our works that we are at sanct in, in, the, in the sanctification process that we are made righteous, so on and so forth. But understand this again, that is not the case. And I want us, uh, what we're gonna do this morning is really show what James was dealing with, what he was talking about when he, de when he, when he said these words that faith without works is dead. And let me say this as well as it concerns James and also the epistles of Paul. Again, this passage that we've read today can be a very confusing passage. I mean, you read the words of, of James here in particular uh, in, in verse 21 when he said, was not Abraham our father justified by works? <laughs> and that could be a confusing statement, can it? When we know that, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Apostle Paul so much emphasized that we are justified, and rightfully so, and James does it too, but James, or, or Paul strongly emphasized that we are justified by faith alone. It's by faith. It's by faith. It's by faith alone in the correct object. But here's James coming along saying, hey, saying, no, no, we, that Abraham was justified by works. Well, 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 what is it? What's going on here? We got a major contradiction in the word. Something's wrong here. Oh, oh, Brother Bob, help. Well, there's no, really is no contradiction. And understand this, that the writing of James, the book of James, does not contradict the epistles of Paul. And the epistles of Paul do not contradict the book of James. In reality, they line up perfectly. You get that? They line up perfectly. 
Here's what you need to understand, that when the epistles of Paul, when they were written, when Paul wrote them, he was writing mainly to, to believers who were struggling with the truth that we are not made righteous by what we do. They were struggling with the, the unscriptural teaching by the Judaizers and others that we are made righteous based on our works. You get that? And that the epistles of Paul mainly dealt with that error that was in the church, a huge error that was in the church then, and it's still in the church today. That we are accepted, that we are righteous, that we are loved, that whatever case, that we have this relationship with God, we get what we have from God based on what we do. Do more and you have more of what God has, uh, that is, I'm talking about righteousness and so on and so forth. But what, what Paul came against was that works righteousness mentality. You see, but what James is dealing with were believers who were claiming to be righteous. They had a profession of righteousness, a profession of Christianity, but there was no proof of it in their life. When the world around them, and when you look at their action, and even more than their actions, but the spirit in which they functioned in, there was no difference between them and the world. Uh-oh. And that's a major problem in the church world today as well. And James said to them in James 4, 4, you adulterers and adulteresses, don't you realize that friendship with the world is enmity with God? If you make yourself a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Wow. And so both what Paul was dealing with in his epistles and what James dealt with in his letter, really both are very much relative to the church right now in 2009 because there is a large majority who are thinking they are righteous based on what they do and as well there is a large majority who think that everything's all right just simply because they say or think that they're a Christian. They go to church once a year, they go to church every once in a while, they do some religious activities, they help, they, they help the old lady across the street, they have an empty profession of faith, and there's no real fruitful Christ-like evidence in their life. And that's what James was dealing with in this passage. And I want to give you, I want to read a few scriptures as we get into this this morning that show us that this is what Paul taught as well. Again, Paul and James don't contradict each other. L look at these scriptures here. You don't have to look, I'm gonna read them somewhat quickly. Romans chapter one and verse 17. Paul said, the just shall live by faith. Romans four and verse 12, he said, walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham walked. He said, walk in the same steps of faith that Abraham did. Walk in it. Romans 8 and verse 1. He said, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not, what? Walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
Galatians 5.25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Ephesians 2 and verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God, had, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 5, 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. That's just a little bit. There's a whole lot more that Paul said. And if Paul wrote the book of Hebrews and Hebrews chapter 11, the, the, the hall of faith, you will see that by faith, all the patriarchs, that they laid their lives down. By faith, Moses left Egypt. By faith, Abraham offered his son Isaac on the altar. By faith, they did something. You get that? But it was on the foundation of faith. Faith in the correct object. And so, get this, Paul never ever taught easy believism. That is one of the arguments against the message of the cross. Well, you just tell them people they just gotta believe, that's all. It's just, well, it's, you're just making it too easy. Understand this, that the way is easy. And, and, it's, it is, and I should say it this way, it is simple. It is Christ and him crucified. Hallelujah. I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Paul told the Corinthians that I, I'm concerned about you, that you have uh, accepted the deception of the devil to stray away from the simplicity of the gospel. The simplicity of the gospel. The way is simple. Now walking in that way is not easy though because you're gonna be tested. Oh, Jesus said your, own, your enemies will even be those of your own household. Oh, the way is simple, it's Christ, it's Jesus. What he did for me at Calvary, keep your eyes on Jesus. Looking on the Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. But once you begin to walk by faith in Jesus and what he did for you at Calvary, expect all of hell to come against you. Expect your faith to be tested. I thank God for this, that his grace is greater. Hallelujah. His grace, his grace is greater than any enemy that comes against us. His grace is greater than any trial that I find myself in. Hallelujah. He told Paul that my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And so let's look at this passage this morning and beginning with verse 14. He said, what does it profit, my brethren? And when James used those words, what does it profit? He was quoting, I think, the words of Jesus or using the same terminology that Jesus used. And Matthew 16 and verse 26, for when he said, what does it profit a man? If he gains the whole world but loses his own soul, that's the same idea. What does it profit? What is the benefit, my brethren? Though a man say he have faith and have not works. Now, look at this. 
What James said here in verse 14 really sets the whole foundation upon which he's going to write the rest of what he's going to say here in chapter 2. It's the person who is saying that they have faith. He said, though a man say, look at the words there, say he has faith. Again, this is the foundation that there were those who were saying or claiming that they had faith, claiming that they were a Christian, claiming to be religious, but there was no evidence of in their life or the faith that they were claiming. Get that? They were saying it. They were claiming it with their words. I'm a Christian. Well, I'm a Christian. Are you Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. <laughs> yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, you a Christian? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, me and Jesus. Yeah, I know, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. Man, oh, yeah, everything's all right with God and me. Everything's all right. Yeah, me and Jesus. Got a good thing going. I'm a Christian. And this is the problem, though. They had an empty profession. They were claiming to have faith. And there was no fruitful Christ-like evidence of it in their life. And that's what James was coming against. And he said this in verse 14, can faith save him? Again, that can be confusing to us. But understand this, that what James was meaning by that statement, it actually literally in the Greek it means, it says this, can that faith save him? Well, what faith? And it speaks of a specific faith. What faith? The faith that is simply just an empty profession. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh yeah, I know Jesus, yeah, 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 I'm a Christian. Jesus, yeah, yeah. The faith that is all it is is just an empty profession. Can that faith save him? It was a rhetorical question, the answer was no, it cannot. Because just the empty profession of faith does not bring salvation. It does not bring righteousness. And understand this about what James is getting into here, is James, in the whole context of the scripture, is really not dealing so much with the initial salvation experience. He's dealing more with once you have experienced justification, after that, what happens? After that, what is the evidence? If there is no evidence of it, then it's a possibility, a strong possibility, that you don't have it. In the context, that's what James is getting to here, all right, verse 15 and 16. What James does is he gives us an example. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say to them, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, Notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? The idea was just simply this, that, that faith, if you have a living faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you at Calvary, then it is going to manifest itself. And he gives the example here of a person, a brother in the Lord that comes and they have no food and understand this among the Jews of that day, many of the Jews had lost jobs. 
They had lost money. Some of them had even lost homes all because of Jesus Christ. And if a brother comes and he doesn't have anything, he doesn't have a place to live or he has no food or has no clothing, and he comes by you and you know about it, and all you say to them is, bless you, brother, bless you. Oh, man. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about false, uh, uh, falsely being a bum, whatever the case, but I'm talking about re- reality. You have nothing. Oh, bless you, brother. Hey, bless you. Hey, see you later. Paul, what James is saying here is that that kind of action does absolutely nothing for the brother. You get that? That kind of thinking, that kind of action does absolutely nothing for that brother who is destitute, but action does. You get that? Action does. All right, moving on. He says this in verse 17. Even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead being alone. He made that statement, he's carrying on with a thought of the empty profession of faith, and he's meaning this, that even so, that faith, what faith? The faith that all it is is just merely an empty profession if it has not works. And the idea is this, is that if it's not evidenced fruitfully in a fruitful manner, in Christ-like character, in the fruit of the Spirit, then he said that that faith is dead. Now understand, and this is so critically important to understand what James is meaning, that James, and this is where many get tripped up today when they read this passage in James, many think that by my religious activity, I will have faith. Get that? By what I do, that's, that's faith, by what I do. It can very, be very confusing. That by my, even by my prayer or, or even passing out water bottles or going to church even, that, that, you know, that that's faith. Understand this, that that can be an evidence of faith. That, is, that can be the manifestation of you trusting the Lord. But understand this, it's not ultimately completely because the true manifestation that we have a living faith is the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Jesus evidencing itself in our life. And get this, the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Jesus cannot be manipulated. It cannot come from our own self. A religious person can pray. Get this, he talked about dead faith and he introduced the concept of dead faith. Dead faith is simply a dead confession of faith. But understand this about dead faith, is that dead faith can be religious. Jesus said to the church of, of Sardis, he said, you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Dead faith can be religious. Dead faith can be active. Does that make sense? It can be active, but all it is is an empty faith. It's a faith, not, it's a dependence, not in Jesus, not in what he's done for us at Calvary. It's a faith that has not accepted the implanted word of the cross. It's a faith that is living out its own manner of righteousness. It's an empty, dead faith. 
And what James is saying here, what he was meaning is that if we have a living faith, if we have received the implanted word of the cross, then that implanted word is going to produce something in our life, but that something that it produces is not fruit that we can make up ourselves. It's fruit that only Christ can produce. It's fruit that only the Holy Spirit can produce. And sometimes when we, and we're getting up to it, but sometimes when people read this passage, especially those who reject the message of the cross, they will try to use the words of James to, to, to say this, that by my religious activity, by my outward activity, that proves that I have faith. And again, this can be very confusing, but by my outward activity, if I go to church, that proves I have faith. Or if I even pray, that proves I'm living by faith, or I have faith, I'm, everything's all right with, with God. Or if I do this, or if I do that, then that proves that everything's all right with me and God. But understand this, a person that even has dead faith can do and go through the outward motions. But a person with dead faith cannot have Galatians chapter 5, 21 and 22. They cannot have the fruit of the Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is only produced by the Spirit of God. That's the character of Jesus. And the character of Jesus truly cannot be produced by our outward actions. Just like you've heard it said before, that coming to church does not make you a Christian, right? Going through the motions, as, as good as those things may be, does not make one a Christian. You having, you, you having a prayer life, you praying, as good as that may be, does not make you something. But what makes you something is your faith, your dependence in Jesus Christ. It gives you the inner working of the Holy Spirit. And in Ephesians 2 and verse 10, an incredible verse, Paul said, we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. We're not our own. We cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Jesus in our own life. We have to depend upon him to do that. We have to look to him to produce that fruit. But the point is this, if we are looking to him, it's gonna be manifested in our life. It's gonna be seen, it's gonna be clearly seen. He goes on to say in verse 18, yes, a man may say, you have faith and I have works. And show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Very important statement. What James understood is that there would be those that would object to what he was teaching. There would be those who would object to what he was teaching. It's very similar to what Paul did many times in his epistles. Paul, when he wrote his epistles, he understood the objections that people would have, either naturally or just simply on purpose the objections that they would have. And James understood that there would be those who reading what he was stating here would say and would object with this. Well, James, okay, that's good what you're saying and, and, and that's great and that's wonderful, so this is what we'll do, James. 
I have faith and you have works. Or I have works and you have faith. Faith over here, works over here. Faith over here, works over there. And what, he knew that there would be some who would, who would try to object to his teaching and try to create a large valley between fruit, between the fruit of faith and faith itself. Because when James used the word works in this passage, it's very important to understand, when James uses the word works in this passage, he was referring to really, in reality, fruit. The fruit of our faith in Christ. When Paul used the word works, he was using it mainly in the sense of works righteousness. That it's not by our works that we are made righteous. But then James, when he came along, he used the word works in the sense of fruit. That it is that, that our works are the evidence of righteousness. They are the fruit of our faith in Christ. But he knew that there would be those who would try to separate the two. Faith over here, and the fruit of faith over here and try to create this large valley between the two. But what James does, and rightfully so, of course, is he says, no, there is no large valley between the two. There is not just one who has works by itself and another one that has faith by itself. I like the way that Brother Swagger said it. I'm gonna read it here from Brother Swagger and find it real quick. He said this in one of his commentaries. He, he said, oh, if I can find it here, can't find it. He basically made the point that, that true faith, true faith will evidence itself with good works. And good works, if they are truly righteous, will always be attached to faith. You cannot separate the two apart from each other. You have faith. I have works, and I'm not saying as good as it should be, but understand this, this can be a problem even in our own life as a believer now. Understanding and growing in the message of the cross. I've seen it in my own life, I've seen it in other people's lives. What we can do sometimes is we can separate works, or that is fruit, from faith. And we know that we are made righteous not based on what we do, but made righteous based on what we believe. And knowing that, what can happen in our life is we can struggle with, okay, okay, I'm not made righteous based on what I do, but based on what I believe. So, what do I do? <laughs> I guess I, and somebody even go as far as to think, well, I guess I, I guess I don't do anything. And what they're saying, what they're thinking of by do is really things like prayer, things like Bible reading, can even go as far as church attendance and other Christian disciplines. Well, I'm not righteous based on what I do, but based on what I believe. And so I guess I, I, I don't do very much, or I do very little. I guess I need to be careful how much I pray because I don't want to get into law. And what can happen is a fear and confusion can settle into our own spirit. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? A fear and confusion can settle into our own spirit, knowing that I'm made righteous only by faith. But knowing that, okay, I guess then what do I, you know what? 
here at Family Worship Center, we have prayer meetings two times a week on Tuesday afternoons and from 12 to 1, and, and then from Saturday mornings from around 10 to, 10 to 11. In, our, in the Bible College, we have hall prayers uh, uh, in, for the dorm students every other week uh, on Tuesday evenings at 8.30. And there are some who, and, and, and I've come across over the years, that have portrayed to me the attitude, I've seen it, that why are we having prayer meetings? Why would, why would we have a prayer meeting? Why? Why would, we, why would we have a hall prayer every other week, Tuesday at 8.30? Why would, why would we do that? Don't you know we are made righteous based on what we believe and not what we do? Why would we have a prayer meeting? If you're going to prayer meeting, if you're having, a, if you're having doing that, then, then that's just you trying to do it. That's just you trying to force revival, and you're just trying too hard. And so why, why do that? Why, why pray? But understand that that is the wrong concept. That is the wrong concept of works. That's the wrong concept of prayer. What that is is creating a large valley between faith and works. And what James said here is so important. He said, show me, he said, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. A perfect example of this is in John 15 and verse 5. Could turn there in your Bible if you would. John 15 and verse 5. John chapter 15 and, well, verses 1 through 5, that is, is a perfect example of this, of what James was saying here in this verse. And Jesus, he said in verse 1, and when you're there, say amen. The Bible, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Get that. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. We cannot produce fruit ourselves. And get this, the fruit that Jesus was talking about was not going through the motions or not just religious activity. A dead branch can have religious activity, can have dead fruit. But the fruit that Jesus is talking about is only fruit that comes from the vine. It's the fruit, it's the character of Jesus Christ. And he said, you, verse 4 again, abide in me. And we're going to hit on that more in just a second. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you except you abide in me. And I in the vine, you are the branches. And he who abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Wow. Wow. James said, you show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. The idea, what James was not meaning, that I'm just going to go through some religious activity, and that shows that I, you know, everything's all right with me and God. He wasn't saying that. 
He was saying that with the fruit and the character of Jesus Christ that have manifested in my life, that is the outward evidence that I've got something real on the inside. It's not my fruit, not my just religious activity. It's not my works as a means of righteousness, but it is his fruit produced in me that is the evidence that I've got something real. And you show me that you've got something real without fruit. Show me you've got the real deal on the inside through just an empty profession. Go ahead, do it. Show me. And what I'll do is I will show you through a life that has the fruit and the character of Jesus Christ in it that I do have something real. But understand this as well about what James is saying. James is in this passage is not meaning that religious works produce faith, but a living faith produces works. You get that? A living faith, a living faith, a faith that has accepted the implanted word of the cross and that word has become one with you. That faith, as you live by that faith, it will produce something but just me, just you and I, or any believer, going through the religious activity as sincere as we may be, if our faith is not anchored in the finished work of Calvary, then that, those works do not, are really not the proof that I've got something real. It's the fruit and the character of Jesus Christ. You know, what this does is it puts the believer, it puts you and I in a place of true humility. Because we're talking about fruit that I can't produce. We're talking about works that you and I cannot produce in and of ourselves. I can't muster this kind, of, this kind of fruit up. I can't muster up this kind of evidence, this kind of proof. It doesn't come from myself. It comes through the inner working of the Holy Spirit in my life. Hallelujah. It's like the resurrection. The resurrection was not where the victory was. It was at the cross that Jesus said, it is finished. Hallelujah. But when Jesus rose from the dead, what was it? It was the evidence. Hallelujah. It was the evidence that the debt had already been paid. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It was the outward physical evidence. He said, here I am. Go ahead and touch me. It's really me. Hallelujah. It's really me. I've risen from the dead. Glory to God. It was the outward evidence that the victory had already been won. And get this, the fruit and the character of Jesus Christ manifested in our life and poured out as we live by faith in this, faith in this world is simply the outward evidence that we've got something real and living on the inside. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Oh, Jesus. Again, we're not talking about just going through some religious activity. Oh, hell, Mary, full of grace, hell, Mary, full of grace, hell, Mary, full of grace, hell, Mary. I got it. I got it. I got, I got the real thing. Or, 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 or here, here you go, uh, here you go, pastor. Here you go. 
here you go. Oh, I got it, I got the real thing. Or it's not, it's not just a religious activity that is the evidence that you've got the real thing. It's the thing that only can come from Jesus that is the evidence that you got the real thing. Hallelujah. But the point, again, the point that James is making throughout this passage, that if you really do have something from Jesus, then it's going to come out. And if it's not coming, and, and, and if it's not coming out, as he's going to say here in just a second, then vain man, you need to repent. Ooh. He says, keep on going, we've got a few minutes left here. Going back to the book of James for a moment, he said, verse 19, you believe that there is one God, verse 19. You believe that there is one God. Now, this was a common, a common thought or principle among the Jews during that time. It was a common creed in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Jews commonly, they believed that. That was a common creed. The Lord our God, he's one God. Glory. Everything's all right with me and God. Deuteronomy 6, 4. The Lord our God, he's one God. What James says here is really a rebuke to them. And he says it sarcastically to them. He said, you do well. But again, he meant that sarcastically. Yeah, that, that's, that's good, but not really. The devils also believe and tremble. Wow. You see, he was putting the faith that they were manifesting in the same realm as the faith that devils have. Ooh, ouch. You have the faith of a demon. <laughs> oh, sizzle, sizzle. <laughs> I hear, I, hear the, I hear the grease burning right now. You, even the devils believe and tremble. So that type of empty profession, without a, without a living faith, you've really, depending on it, you've accepted the engrafted word that's become a part of your being. You don't have that. What you've got is the same faith that devils have. It goes on to say, verse 20, Will you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? You know, in the English, it, it reads much lighter and much softer than it really is. Because in verse, in verse 20 here, it was very much a strong rebuke to these recipients that James is writing to. He said, will you know? It was a rhetorical question. The idea was, the idea was really this. You don't want to know. The word vain means empty. You really, and the idea, again, it was this, you really don't want to know this, or at least you don't want to hear what I'm telling you. You ever said that before? <laughs> or has somebody said that to you? You know, I know you don't want to hear this, but you're an empty man. You are empty. You are a vain man. And you don't want to hear because you like your self-righteousness so much because you like your empty profession so much that you can claim to be something but then live any way you want to, you don't want to hear that if you've got the real deal on the inside and it's going to change your life. Vain man, you don't want to hear that. Now understand this as a rebuke, but again, I want to emphasize the point. 
that what James was not meaning, he was not meaning that just the doing of religious activity proves that I've got something real, because it doesn't. But, the, but, but if I've got something real, if I have received by faith the implanted word of the cross as we dealt with yesterday, then it is going to produce fruit, not my fruit, not, not, not what I can do necessarily, but what only he can do. And he says this in verse, oh, verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? And seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by his works faith was made perfect. In this passage, I've already said several times, this can be a confusing passage for people, but you have to understand it in the context, and you have to understand it in the context of even what Abraham went through. You see, Abraham, and actually James would quote this verse down in verse 23, but in Genesis 15 and verse 6, Abraham was justified, declared righteous in the eyes of God at the moment that he believed in the promise of the coming seed. Get that? He believed and he was made righteous, boom, just like that. It was not a gradual justification. It was not a gradual uh, 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 imputed righteousness. No, nothing, nothing, not that at all. It was instant, just like that. But knowing that, and knowing that rightfully, it can, this can be confusing. But understanding in the context of what James was saying, in verse 21 when he said, it was not Abraham our father justified by works, what he was meaning by that was that Abraham's justification was evidenced. Get that. It was proven. It was clearly seen by the works that followed. Get that? In Genesis 15 and verse 6, he was declared righteous because he believed in the coming seed. But in Genesis chapter 22, and verse 1 and 2, when God came to him and he says, God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, take your son Isaac, your only son, and go sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. You know what Abraham did? From what we see in Genesis 22, Abraham obeyed God. And he took his son and took him to the top of Mount Moriah. And when Isaac asked him, or the servant asked him, where's the sacrifice? Abraham said, our Lord will supply for us the sacrifice. But he did what God had told him to do. He laid his son Isaac on the altar. And I, you know, I tell you, you know what? I think any of us here, I, I don't, uh, it almost goes beyond human comprehension to put your own son, especially the son of your old age. Abraham was 100 years old. When, he had, when, uh, when Isaac was born, I tell you, that's a miracle child, a uh, super miracle child. <laughs> and there was nothing artificial about it. It was totally supernatural. And, but he told, God told him, lay that son, Isaac, upon the altar. Abraham took that knife, about to thrust it into Isaac, uh, Isaac's chest. And the angel of the Lord, most likely the pre-incarnate Christ, said, Abraham, Abraham, stop thy hand, hold thy hand. For I, and I'm paraphrasing now, but the angel of the Lord said unto him, you have obeyed the voice of the Lord. And in blessing, I will bless thee and multiply thy seed. And Abraham said, you know what? I'm going to call this place, I'm going I'm to call this place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. 
Hallelujah. I'm going to call this place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. Hallelujah. You see, what James was alluding to was the whole story of Abraham. Not just a moment of Abraham's life, but the whole story of Abraham. In particular, from Genesis 15 through Genesis 22. That aspect of his life. He was declared righteous in the, in, in the eyes of God. And, and James said here, he was called a friend of God. But this is what Abraham did. When God tested his faith, Abraham believed the Lord. Get that? Abraham in Genesis 22 didn't go just through some outward motions of religious activity. God tested his faith. Get that? Count it all joy when you encounter trials for the knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience that we dealt with Thursday. If you've got real faith, it's really going to be tested. Abraham's faith was tested. And you know what? In the test, Abraham believed. Get that? Abraham believed. It was not just a religious activity he was going through. He believed. I tell you what. You can't just go through some religious activity laying your son on the altar. Oh, no, that's not just religious. That's the real deal, bucko. That's really, that's faith. Well, 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 Bob, what are you talking? Well, what if I fail? What if God asked me to do something great like that? What if my faith is tested greatly and I mess up? I fail. Well, God's patient with us. And he loves us so much, he'll bring it around again and give us another opportunity. Thank God for that. God, God knows our heart. Hallelujah. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. He knows if we got the real thing, and he, if we got the real thing, he knows it, and he will allow it to go through the test. And if you fail the test, if you're immature, if you're weak in the faith, then he'll bring it around again. And God's going to keep on doing it as long as it takes for our faith to be strengthened, for our faith to mature in him. And what he, said, what he meant by this passage, by that statement, was that Abraham's justification was proven by his works. It was proven. It was clearly evidence when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar. In verse 22, he said, seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works faith was made perfect. I want to emphasize the point again that when James uses the word works, he's, he's using it in the sense of Fruit. Fruit. You and I cannot make fruit. We cannot produce fruit ourselves. It has to be produced by Christ, by the Holy Spirit. And he said this, that faith was working with the fruit. Get that? Faith was working with the fruit of faith, with the outward evidence of faith, and by the outward evidence of faith, as he lived by faith, as he walked by faith, what happened is his faith was actually strengthened. Hallelujah. How do you think Abraham felt when he was on Mount Moriah? And God, by the angel of the Lord, said, Abraham, Abraham, stop thy hand. Take your son Isaac off the altar. Abraham, I know that you believe me. I know that you trust me, for you've obeyed my voice. And all of a sudden, there was a ram caught in the thicket. And God said, there's your sacrifice right there. And Abraham said, you know what I'm going to call this place? Jehovah Jireh. 
Can you imagine how his faith must have felt at that point? It was strengthened. Hallelujah. It was edified. It was built up. You see, because the steps of faith that Abraham took, the steps of faith that he took up that mountain, because in a sense, figuratively, every step that Abraham took up that mountain was a step of faith. My God will provide a sacrifice. My God will provide a sacrifice. I know God said lay your son Isaac, but even if my son Isaac dies, I know God will raise up another one. Hallelujah. I know God will provide a sacrifice. Every step was a step of faith. But you see what, what was going on was that his steps of faith that he was taking, what James is meaning here, was working together with the initial step of faith. You see, his justification and his, by faith and his sanctification by faith were working together. You get that? They were working together. And get this, the words work together in this passage, they imply this, they imply two friends or three, or it could be four or five friends, but it implies this in this sense, two friends working together for the same cause for the same purpose. Faith and works, the initial step of faith to be justified, and then the steps of faith in Christ as you're being sanctified, they work as friends together. They're buddies, hallelujah. Justification by faith and sanctification by faith. They're friends working together to do what? To strengthen my faith. Hallelujah. Do you get that? To strengthen my trust in the one who gave his life for me. Hallelujah. He said, don't you know that by his works, that his works were working together with his faith, and by works, faith was made perfect. The word perfect there, it really refers to the maturing process. It refers to spiritual maturity. That is justification by faith was working together with his sanctification by faith, the steps of faith that he took. And his faith was brought to a place of spiritual maturity. Does that make sense? What God has intended for all of us, every single child of God, is not only that we take that initial step of faith out of sin into Christ, justification by faith, but at once we're in to keep on walking by faith, hallelujah. And as we walk by faith, again, that justification by faith, the sanctification by faith, they work together as friends, and the whole process is the process of spiritual maturity. Wow, hallelujah. And he goes on to say here in verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled fulfilled, which said, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. You see, you see there, James was not, he was not contradicting imputed righteousness. He was not saying that, no, we're not justified by faith, or Abraham was not justified by, no, that's exactly what he was saying. He was saying that Abraham was justified by faith, but once he was justified by faith, he kept on walking in that faith. Hallelujah. All right. And he, called, he was called a friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified. He, he, that can be confusing, but again, the idea is this in the context, that it's that how by faith 
Or you see then that by works, a man's justification is proven. You get that? It is clearly seen. It is clearly evidenced by the fruitful walk that, that is followed after that initial moment of justification. We are not, understand this, that we are not, we do not receive imputed righteousness based on our works. But that imputed righteousness is proven. It is manifested. It is seen in our life as we walk by faith in who Jesus is, the same one that justified us as we live by faith in Christ. And he gives the example here of Rahab, which we don't have time to cover. In verse 26, he said, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And again, what James is referring to is that empty profession of faith, if that's all it is, is just simply a, yeah, I'm a Christian. Or if all all it simply is is just a religious activity, here you go, pastor, here you go, church, or just limited to just an empty profession, he says, then that faith is dead. Get that? A strong point. That faith is dead. Understand this, that how we start the Christian life is critically important. I mentioned this yesterday and the day before, that when we first got saved, when we first accepted Jesus Christ into our heart and our Savior and Lord, it was Jesus by his Spirit basically telling us, come unto me. Come unto me, all that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If any man thirst, let him come unto me. And what we did by simple faith, that day when you got saved, is you took a step of faith, and you said, yes, Jesus, I believe. Hallelujah. Yes, Jesus, I believe. How you and I start is the most critical thing in the face of the earth. It's the greatest miracle that ever happened in our life. You know, how we start, even though it's, of course, critically important, you have to start You have to start, you have to be saved. How you end the race after that point is just as important. Because just because you start the race doesn't mean that you will finish the race. Hear what I'm saying? Just because you start the race with a step doesn't mean that you're gonna finish the race. But what James is encouraging and instructing, even with some rebuke here, telling the recipients is that yeah, Start the race off with a step, but finish the race off with a step too. You get that? This race, this journey of life is a race of faith. It's not a competition, but it is a journey. It's a race. And the same way that you and I started this race to begin with is the same way we will finish with a step of faith. And the way you get from A to Z, from the, from the starting line to the finish line, is you keep walking by faith. Hallelujah. Don't give up. Hallelujah. Keep on believing in Christ. Look, as Jesus said in James 1.25, look into the perfect law of liberty. That is what Jesus did for you at Calvary. Let your faith rest in his finished work. Not just look at it, but stay in it. Stay there. Abide in the vine, and you will bear much fruit. Hallelujah. It will. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. And God, we just ask that, Lord, you would continue to make this word real to every one of us. And we thank you, Lord, that we are a work in progress. And that, God, you are doing a great work in every one of us, Lord Jesus. 
And God, we thank you, Lord. We love you, God, expecting great things from you. And Lord, we say it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Well, God bless you.